Joined by none other than Jerry Hamilton and Rod Babers. How you guys doing this weekend? I'm here to talk Rice football. Are you kidding me? I'm so excited. <laughs> Davey and Toviano's brothers are starting running back. Let's talk Rice football. <laughs> Rod, you how, how are you doing, bud? I'm doing great, man. Yeah, man. I went rabbit holing, went deep down uh, the, the Rice <laughs> Owl rabbit hole. So, yeah, I got notes, got thoughts. It's game week, baby. So, it don't matter. We're excited. It don't matter who the opponent is. We was going to go deep dive in the body. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I tell you what, we, we all three of us uh, have been thinking about uh, this week for a long time, I, I think is the best way to put it. It's been a long off season, uh, but uh, today it begins uh, the 2023 season. Uh, the Longhorns uh, host Rice at 2.30 on uh, Saturday afternoon. It's going to be a little hot out there. The Longhorns yesterday hosted a mock scrimmage of sorts, or excuse me, a mock game, not scrimmage, like an actual game. Uh, included in that were two-minute drills and uh, everything from kicking field goals, everything else. But th the one thing that I found out uh, yesterday was that they actually played a little video of uh, Brett Yormark and the Texas Tech uh, commentary, as well as Joey McGuire, the Texas Tech head coach, uh, to the uh, Longhorn team. Uh, what did you guys think about that when y'all heard about that? I love it. I mean, I love it. I, I don't think this team needs um, the motivation necessarily, but anything helps, right, guys? I mean, Rod's been in those locker rooms. I mean, even though you're really – somebody said hook him from South Padre Island. It's only 86 there. I hope you enjoyed your day. It's 108. Nice. <laughs> okay. I, don't, I don't know what it is in Austin. But, um, you know, look, I mean, I, these guys don't need any extra motivation. Uh, but I guarantee you that one will be replayed five or six times this year um, as the season moves along, especially in the Big 12 play. So, uh, look, anything that helps uh, right now. Uh, but, Rod, I mean, I'd love your perspective being being a player. and I, You know Mac had all those things he used. Any little thing he could to get Rod to run 4-3-4 instead of 4-3-7 on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, I'm, just, I'm sure there's bullets and board material. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but – you know, these guys shouldn't need that. They should already have their goals intact. But it, it always helps to have a little bit more incentive, a little bit more motivation. And for these guys, I mean, it is at your farewell tour through the Big 12, and everybody wants a piece of Texas on their way out. So uh, as CDC said, embrace the hate. Here they got the T-shirts over <laughs> at the uh, the co-op now. So that's the way it is. And now if you're Texas, that's, that's how it's supposed to be. I'm excited about this season. These guys, and Sark has talked about it, They've also embraced the expectations, right, guys? First time in a long time where the expectation is as high as the standard. The standard, listen, I, I, I won 11 games my last two years at Texas and still did not quite meet the standard. Yeah. We didn't beat Oklahoma and, and we didn't win a conference championship. That's how high the standard is. And right now, the, the expectations are just as high as the standard. It, it Probably 2009 was the last time we were in this position um, where we're talking about just the expectation and the standard for Texas football. I got a question. Which of you two is going to wear the Embrace the Hate shirt on the live stream next Friday from the co-op? <laughs> I think it's going to be Rod. I don't know if Bobby will do oh, it. Oh, I'm down. I'm down, baby. I'm down. Yes, I will go there early, get the Embrace the Hate. Hopefully, they got a hat, too. Uh, we can do it all, baby. I'm down. I'm with it. I'm with it. You guys are too much now. Come on. The, the, I, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm happy that they created those shirts or what, but I think that it's – it's smart that they did. I, I think that CDC uh, gave one to every 
He said he thinks he gave it one to every athlete and staffer on the on the uh, in the athletic department. That's awesome. You know they they're ready to go for uh, 2023. Um, hey, another thing we want to talk about uh, a little bit this week. Uh, we did see a little bit of football yesterday. Uh, Notre Dame uh, beat up on, on Navy. Uh, USC. Uh, <laughs> they they Caleb Williams looks like he's the truth again. Uh, I guess as well. What what do y'all think about week zero football games? Not in high school football, but in college football. Rod, what what, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, I'm not gonna complain about early football. Uh, so, I mean, I'm, I'm all for week zero football. I think you know whether you're talking about the NFL or you're talking about Major League Baseball, or college football. Everybody's trying to to take up more of the sports calendar uh, these days. And I think this is another way for college football to try to sneak in and grab a little share of the sports calendar right before the NFL decides they want to dominate, you know, most of the market share. So I got no problem with week zero. I don't. It's not entertaining games. Let's be honest with that. I mean, they're not entertaining. It's it's pretty much a showcase, basically kind of a a mock exhibition kind of a showcase, if you will, because they're not entertaining. But, hey, man, I'm all about football early on. Look, I I know – I know some people are picking USC to go to the playoff, but uh, I'm not sure how much their defense has improved since Tulane bowl game last year. We're going to see as the season moves along, but uh, I, I think they got some work to do on defense uh, at USC. I Look, they got a lot of work to do on defense for sure. I will say this much, that young receiver they have, Jerry. Jalen Waddle Jr., Zachariah Branch. Wow. Yes. <laughs> hey, Rod. I don't know if anybody saw this, but he he took a kick return back. He slowed down on the kick return and then sped up and took it to the house. I mean, that is usually like 99 times out of 100. That's a recipe for disaster, right? You slow down on the kick return. But he hesitated, Rod, and then he just – he went – uh, the Some guys got the gears, man. <laughs> you hey, hey, one he's the gear down champion, man. I've seen it in person at camp. Yeah, he, he's like got seven gears, then he's boops. You know, it's like Top Gun. He just hits the brakes and they'll yeah. fly right by. Type of. Hey, I want to read a text, guys. Yo. Yo, from Daniel Cruz, Texas commitment. I asked him. I said, "You going to the game Saturday?" He said, "Yes, sir. I'll be there with my family. Played good. Had a ton of snaps at center on offense. Caused a fumble." And got a fumble recovery at defensive tackle. So Daniel Cruz, Richland won their first game Thursday night. He, he and his family will be at the Texas game. They were going to brave the heat and come put up the hook'em horns uh, there in Austin Saturday. And, and Rod, that was his first start at center. We're going to break him down on one of our talking ball uh, segments here in the next few weeks. But Daniel Cruz, big time center, going both ways. Is he playing he, both ways? Start. Oh, he, plays, oh. he plays until he cramps, man. <laughs> what an M. I get it. Iron six man, one, six, six, sorry, six one. It's six three three ten. He's gonna cramp up playing both ways. Man. Hey Jerry, you're talking about it being only only uh, 86 in Padre. Uh you know, I, I tell you what we gotta we gotta look for is uh Laredo. Uh I don't know if it was as hot down there as it was uh, uh <laughs> it was in Houston, but uh Rudy, thanks for the the super chat. Uh, guys, we're gonna take questions tonight. Yeah. Uh Let's start with this. Does Sark run up the score against Texas Tech and score 60 if the opportunity is there? I don't know that Sark doesn't always score 60 if he has the opportunity. That's all I would say to that. I think he's he's all gas, no breaks. Jerry, Rod, y'all's feeling? Yeah, it's just going to be all gas hashtag against Tech if he can do it. And he's just not even going to 
put the brakes on it at all. He's not even going to leave that to chance. Now, um, yeah, no, look, that game, if especially if you have an opportunity to, yes. Uh, but not if you have a Big 12 championship game the next week, not at the expense of getting guys hurt. Oh, that's true, too. I didn't yeah. think about that. Rod? Yeah, that's a good point about uh, Jerry Wright about that. But um, I do I, – I think Sark's going – if he has a chance, he's going to run it up, and he should. Yeah. Uh, you can leave no doubt. You even – you know, if first of all, the thought of losing to Texas Tech in back-to-back years, we won't even discuss that. Uh, but even a game that's close, you know, Longhorn fans will jump out on the grassy knoll with the conspiracy theorists and talking about officiating and all that. And the Brett Yarmont comments, you don't even want to get, you don't want, you don't want to have anything to do with that. So leave no doubt is the, is the point. And yeah, that means if you can do it, run, put up 60 on them, honestly, but you know, it's in Texas tech, they're going to be a, a decent team. That's going to be a decent team. And that game, especially they're going to be putting on a stop. They, they've been, they've been game planning for that game, especially. All right. For, that's their Alabama. So they've been game planning for that one all offseason, just so y'all know. Yeah. Y'all thinking, hey, Alabama is what Texas has been game planning for all offseason? Well, that's what Texas has been game planning for all offseason. I guarantee you, it's a big one. Yeah. It's a big one. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, hey, guys, I want to say thank you to our sponsor. Uh, each and every Sunday night live stream is brought to you by the guys over at the Crossoak Group. Uh, the Crossoak Group is a one of the war, uh, one of the States leading government affairs firms specializing in lobbying, political communications, business development, and regulatory compliance. These days, government finds ways to impact nearly every aspect of your business with decades of experience ranging from the State House to the White House. Crossoak Group helps its clients hedge risk and protect and grow their bottom lines. To learn more, go to www.crossoakgroup.com. That's www crossoakgroup.com. Uh, let's keep going with some questions, guys. The rest of the night is open. Uh, we are uh, looking for, for uh, questions that lead us into talking about things like this. And this comes from uh, E. Kim, uh, by the way, uh, one of our uh, frequent listeners. Jerry, which high school games, let me make sure I got this up. Which high school games are you attending this week? Uh, for, for, uh, you went, well, tell them what you went, what you went to over the weekend, by the way, first too. Yeah. I went to the first half of Dickinson, Atascacita. Then I came home and watched KJ Lacey. I wanted to get eyes on as many guys as I could. Um, you know, Nate Kibble, uh, playing right tackle for Atascacita. He'll be a guard at the university of Texas. He's six, two and a quarter, about three Oh five. Um, you know, he's, his feet are maybe a little quicker than last year. He's got that 80 inch wingspan. He's a four-year starter at the 6A level with the Tascacita. Tascacita guys, I mean, if y'all should go out and watch them this year. They beat Dickens, I think, 46-21. But uh, Watkins from Klein Force committed to LSU. The guy that runs 10-2 and 20.4 transferred over to Tascacita. So they have Tory Blaylock. They have Jelani Watkins. They have a couple other D1 guys on offense. Uh, they got some skill now. And, and the safety at Braylon Conley has committed to USC. They have a defensive end that's an FBS kid. They got a chance this year. Um, they, they got a chance to be really good. Dickinson, of course, has Tyler Thomas, 2025, 20, left tackle, who may be a right tackle in the next level. Uh, but he's gotten more physical. He's still not all the way where he'll be next year as a senior, but he's got a lot more physical from sophomore to junior year. Texas loves Tyler Thomas. He's a big Texas lean. Um, he would be going to the Texas Rice game this Saturday, except they play. 
uh, on on Saturday. So I, I believe they play on Saturday, so he can't make it. Uh, but he'll be he'll be at Texas later on in a few weeks. And I watch KJ Lacey, Ryan Williams, Antonio Coleman. I mean, Antonio Coleman had a whale of a game against Lipscomb, the four star junior D tackle that Texas is after. Coleman's telling. Uh, people that he wants to visit Texas and at least get out to Texas as part of his recruitment. So we'll see if he makes a trip out with KJ Lacey this season. Um, so Lacey, I thought Bobby, I don't know if you watched, but KJ look, just looked like KJ. I mean, look, he plays under duress so well. He had he had one interception, it was returned for a touchdown, he, a throw that he probably won't make again the rest of the season, right? But uh, he he gets the ball out quick. He can he can layer the football. Eight. He puts the ball in the money in the intermediate game. He's a big-time prospect. And Ryan Williams is a total freak. Hey, Jerry, add on to this one. Parker Livingstone, Justin Wells had a story today. Huge, about the, huge. Uh, yeah. Justin Yarbrough is asking, what are y'all's thoughts on how some of the commits perform this week? A few had great games. Uh, we talked about Aaron Hampton on Friday morning. Uh, obviously, Parker Livingstone had a 98-yard punt return, I think, yeah. for a touchdown, among other things. Uh, how did some of the other guys do this weekend, Jerry? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, first off, Christian Clark took a helmet to the knee, no structural damage that coach said. He had, they had to rest him because they have another Division One back that's already injured. Um, Trey Owens threw for about 177 yards, I think. They lost a 31-30 game to Bridgeland. Colin Simmons had was shot out of a cannon a few times, as you would expect, against South Oak Cliff in a 34-13 win. Alex January dominated the point of attack. DeAndre Robinson's game against Coco is up on huddle already. You know DeAndre's getting the highlights up. Uh, but DeAndre is, it, it looks the opposite of what a three-star defensive lineman looks like. He's underrated. Uh, just really plays really hard. He plays with a purpose, man. And Rod and I are going to talk about that with our talk and ball show tomorrow. We're going to go over defensive line commitments and Dominic McKinley ahead of his September 1st uh, announcement. Melvin Hills, Dominic McKinley had – Really good showings in the Jamboree. Melvin Hills had four tackles, two and a half tackles for loss, I think it was. Um, and then Dominic McKinley, obviously a top D lineman on the board. He was ragdolling some people. <laughs> hey, Rod, this is going to be for you, bud. Uh, this is from Russell, who also gave us a super chat uh, separately. Can someone explain to me why a team needs different returners for punts and kickoffs? Seems to me that if Worthy or whoever is good on punt return, he should be good on kick return. Slightly different uh, abilities, right, Rod? Yeah, yeah, different skill yeah. sets. Um, you know, the punt return, of course, <laughs> there's <laughs> there's a lot more chaos happening around you. Uh, and you got there's a, it's happening a lot faster. With the gunners on each side, I was a gunner. Um, I was also a guy that held up the gunners. And everything happens. It's kind of split second timing. Not saying that you don't also have to have some, you know, some quick decisions and some quick twitch when it comes to kickoff returns, but at least you have more time for the play to develop. All right. For blockers to get in place um, when it comes to kickoff return. So punt return, it is it's different skill sets, both returners, of course, but different skill sets. I think for punt return, those guys got to be better agents of chaos, <laughs> if you will, than a kickoff returner, because you have more time for everything to develop in front of you. You can see. It, 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 you can see it, it. Let me ask you this because this is interesting. Like Keelan Robinson is the the head kick returner, mm -hmm. right? But Xavier Worthy is the head punt returner as of right now. They may they may use Ad Mitchell and some others, right? Yeah. What is it differently that Ke Keelan Robinson? Keelan Robinson has that sudden explosiveness. You know what I mean? Where he actually has like that between five and ten yards. He's like going full out, right? He's like zero to sixty and you know two point one. 
Whereas Xavier Worthy has got a little, you know, stutter step and then go. Is that is that part of it too? That you played special teams. I mean, I, I think for the punter, that's a good point. I think for the punter, honestly, the reason Xavier Worthy is preferred because it's all about securing the catch. Number one, like you just and for Keelan Robinson, listen, we we think he's great, but one of the questions about him was. Hey, does he have hands to be able to be a vertical threat downfield? He proved that last year. Great development by Tashara Choice. He's not DJ Monroe, right? He, he actually can run a route downfield and be a receiver. Um, but like I said, I think it's it, it, the players, they, they don't have time. They, 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 they really panic less. I say in the kickoff return, there's less time. You, you know what I mean? You don't really have quick decisions. You have – in a punt return, you got a situation where guys may be right in your face within whatever that halo is, and you may be paying attention to them and also the ball. So I think having Xavier Worthy back there is just to secure the catch. He got the best hands on the team. He's a receiver. He secures the catch first and foremost. Keelan Robinson back there, not saying he's got bad hands, but he didn't have sure hands like an Xavier Worthy does. Got it. All right, uh, let's go to Siobhan Patel. Hey, guys, how much do we go 12 personnel this year with Sanders and Helm? You know, I we've talked about this in multiple uh, situations. We've talked about it on Inside Texas at, at length. Uh, Ian Boyd, uh, Paul Wadlington, everybody's kind of in, green, in agreement. Sark kind of prefers 12 personnel, but with these receivers, it can't be the number one. We don't think it's going to be the number one or the, the de facto position, right? Uh we got to think it's going to be 11 personnel. Everybody agree with that? Could he yeah. get Could he get creative with 12, though? Could JT Sanders play more in the slot? Could Jordan Whittington line up as a running back? I mean, that's to me is kind of the question is, does he get creative with 12 uh, more so at times? I don't know. I, I, think just, 11, I just don't I think know 11, if it's standard, though. That's no, I don't thing. think it's standard. I think, 11's, I think 11 plays to the personnel and plays to Quinn, but – that's totally going to be dependent on OL and pass protection. Uh, yeah, no, Sark, he's he's dedicated to 12. He he talks about tight end being the second most important position in his offense behind quarterback. First year, they were about 40% 12 personnel, one back, two tight ends. Last year, actually, that percentage of that dropped off a little bit because Sark actually played a lot of what they call big 11, big 12. That's the extra yeah. offensive lineman. Andre Carrick last year. Uh, but this year, I hear is maybe Malik. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure who it is this year. But they'll have another sixth offensive lineman. They call that their Big 12 package. So last year, they supplemented some of their 12 personnel with that personnel grouping. And Sark was asked this year, "Are you going to keep having you know your variety in your personnel groupings?" He said yes. Last year, they they played more two tailback sets than I'd ever seen any Sark offense play. Well, you had Rojo and Bijan, so that made a lot of sense too. Uh, so 12 personnel, I think you're going to continue to see it, but I think the percentage of it may drop to about, I don't know, maybe 25%. You're going to see that sixth offensive lineman out there just because you're you're so deep on the offensive line and you could pretty much play bully ball with all that beef you got up there. So 11 personnel, whenever there's a third down that has to be converted, most of the time, and I haven't done the numbers, I'm probably going to do it one day, Sark goes 11. So you can tell that's his comfort zone. When he's got to have it, he's going 11. And I think that's what you'll see mostly this year, just because of personnel, your wide receivers are your deepest group. Hey, this was, this super chat from Poke Casino, guys. Hook them all day, every day. Week one, Quinn leads four TD drives by halftime. Malik, two, D, two TD drives. Manning, two TD drives. Let's see. That's eight TDs. Eight times seven is 56. <laughs> 
I'm thinking oh. he's thinking there's probably going to be some some uh, field goals in there too, or a special team such a. He's hoping to hang sixty. What do y'all think on that game, guys? Just give give people a taste of what y'all think for Rice and, and uh, what that'll look like. Look, I think fifty. I mean, I, not that you want to give up fourteen points, but sometimes when I say that, it's a late thing, right? I mean, I think a fifty-six fourteen game, getting to play everybody, getting out injury free, uh, getting Quinn in a flow with the new wideouts. I mean, I think that would be a, a heck of a a heck of a game for uh, Texas. A good forty-two. Um, 45 point type of win. I mean, I'm, I, I'd be shocked if we see something crazy like 63-3. Um, uh, but not saying it can't happen. But you know, look, I think I think Sark's gonna. You want to try to get this young offensive line who's now a year older some confidence in the run game too, Rod. So yeah. I'm, I don't know if you're gonna be throwing it up and down the field, scoring a lot, scoring as many points as you possibly could, but more preparing this team for next week and the rest of the season. I was going to say, and there will be something saved for Alabama, too. Yeah. <laughs> we all know that. that uh, hey, Rod, this this is perfect because uh, Duffy on Inside Texas Message Board just asked, do you think that Texas is going to keep it vanilla somewhat against Rice in order to kind of surprise Alabama a little bit? I, I do think you'll, I, you know, I don't know how vanilla, because sorry, you know, some of his conceptual sh- signatures are, you know, pre-snap motion. You're going to see that. You're going to see play action pass. You're going to see some RPOs. But in terms of the uh, the play designs, they may get a little exotic. I think you'll, you're not going to see that. I think you'll see just the basic conceptual signatures of Sark, which are, hey, I need my guys to be able to run the RPOs, play action pass, uh, play, a lot of pre-snap motion misdirection. Those are things that are just part of the DNA of a Sark offense. But the exotic play design. Remember last year we saw it versus Alabama. It's like, whoa, where'd that come from? The three back sets, and then they had all the misdirection. You will see some of that, I guarantee you. That's that's going to be versus Alabama. You won't see that exotic play design versus Rice. There's no need. There's no need for it. All right. Uh, let's go to this one from Cliff Beckman, guys. Uh, I think this is a good one as well. Uh, can you all explain the red shirt rules? This freshman class has so much potential, potential but if they play special teams, will that take away their ability to red shirt? About four years ago, four or five years ago, the NCAA instituted a rule. It used to be one snap and your eligibility for a year was over. Rod's probably That's seen that day. happen to somebody. Yeah, my days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One snap and you that was your whole eligibility for a year. However, now you can play in four games and maintain your red shirt. So that's the new rule, Cliff. Four games, you play in any amount of game uh, plays within it, you end up still with your red shirt. All right, uh, thanks, UT boy. Welcome, family. Uh, hey, guys, we had a question about Jonte Cook on this. How much do we think Jonte Cook plays in, in week one against Rice, Jerry? I think he's going to score a touchdown against Rice. <laughs> I've been saying it, and that's not for super chat money. I think he's going to score. I mean, look, he made a big play in the spring game. I know it may have been against the walk-on at the time, but Jonte Cook, you know, if you get into the game, he'll get his feet wet in the first half of that game. You get into the game more that late third, late third quarter, Rice may have both corners and their best safety back, but those guys are going to be tired. That's a lot of heat to play in. Jonte Cook's going to come in there with fresh legs, and I think he's going to score one in this game. I really do. Um, I, I think he's, he's a big play waiting to happen against Rice. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, Rice is secondary. I'm not sure if they're good or if just their rush defense was so bad that teams decided we'd rather work, you know, smarter, not harder, and we'd just run the ball. because They allowed like 181 rushing yards per game, 5.4 yards per rush. But, yeah, that's supposed to be the strength 
of their defense is the the, the secondary and the back end. But but Ron, about Ron, Ron, Cook, I, I, go ahead. Yeah, so I said about Jonte Cook, I'll just say I agree with you though. I think you're right. I think Sark wants to establish a pipeline. Oh yeah, of wide receiver talent all the way to the NFL, and he, he's he, that's why he's recruiting still with the, the, the he's recruiting still, of course, with the Devonte Smith Heisman Trophy season and him being drafted in the top ten. And I think he wants to continue that with Xavier Worthy. That's why, yes, he will force feed him the football whether you like it or not. <laughs> and I think he wants to also establish that with a young Jonte Cook. So I'm with you, Jerry. I think that is top of mind for Sark so he can recruit the best wide receiver talent um, that is out there. He's still after a couple. Ryan Wingo out of Missouri and St. Louis. Micah Hudson still on the board out of Lake Belton. Uh, of course, uh, Freddie DeBose out of uh, Smithson Valley. Uh, Aaron Hampton uh, from Dangerfield, as well as Parker Livingstone uh, out of Lovejoy, already in the boat for the Longhorns this coming year. All right, hey, guys, Jared Voswinkel has a question. And Rod, I want to put this back on you because Jerry and I have talked about this. Yeah. What will it take for Jalen Ford to be a first round pick? Is he, I mean, that's a hard, that's a hard ask for any linebacker to be a first rounder. What do they normally have? Like one or two in the entire first round? It's almost like, it sounds weird, but unless he's Micah Parsons. Exactly. Where he's that kind of disruptor. Tough to yeah. get that guy. You agree? Yeah, because right now it's not considered a premium position right now in the NFL. As you guys know, that starts around the quarterback. It's quarterback. It's left tackle. It's pat, you know, pass rusher on the outside there. Cornerback, wide receiver now. All these things revolved around the passing game. And uh, off-ball linebacker really isn't there. And they don't J- – Jalen Ford is probably top three best coverage linebackers in the country when you drop him back in coverage. And, and unfortunately, what will end up increasing his draft stock would be him being valuable as a pass rusher. Yeah. And I don't think Texas is going to utilize him or deploy him as a pass rusher too too often when they know as he's so valuable as a coverage defender. He's man, when he's dropped back in coverage, his his you know cerebral uh, makeup and his football IQ just kick in. And he just naturally is is a great coverage defender. So I'm sure he's really good as a, a pass rusher too. But there, I don't think Texas is going to sacrifice that in order to uh, you know put him on the line to be a pass rusher rather than have him back in coverage. Hey guys, I want to I want to stay here with you, Rod, for a second. From Freelance Society, how do you feel about teams bringing in a lot of transfers to fit their culture and scheme, such as OU? At the end of the day, it's still new players learning a new program. Texas brought in five themselves, but OU brought in a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, your your thoughts on that? Because you saw transfers. It, it wasn't as many as you do now. You see nowadays, right? Yeah. But what, what are your thoughts on this? I think it depends on the system. It depends on the player. So I, I do, you know, I hate that's kind of a, a cop out. But, you know, if you're if you have a, a system that is pretty simplistic for players to learn so they can play fast and they can learn it, you know, on the fly – then I don't think it's a big deal. You can bring in, you know, new talent and depends on if those guys are veteran players, which a lot of these guys in the pool are, you know, they've been in other systems before. A lot of these systems are just different terminology, but the same principles, same concepts. And a lot of these guys can really translate that and transfer a lot of their knowledge over to that new system. So that's why, that's why these colleges like these veteran players. I mean, they pick it up really fast. Um, So it all depends on the system, all depends on the player. Um, but you're right about Oklahoma, man. They've turned over a ton of that roster. I want to say they got, it, it, I think Venable said it was 90-something uh, new players, first or second-year players on that roster now. So it's brand new, pretty much. 
That's crazy. Hey, and I want to say that Oklahoma, I think, is trying to follow the foot Florida State did because they have more work oh, to yeah. do than Sark. And they've got less time to do it going into the SEC. Yeah. Um, so I think they, I'm Florida State showed people how to succeed in the portal uh, when your back's against the wall. And I think Oklahoma's trying to uh, kick their uh, development up a gear with more than high school kids developing. I think Jerry's right. On a large scale, Florida State has performed as well or better than anybody in the portal. I would add maybe USC to that list now. Yeah. After watching them play, I think what did they have like six transfers as starters, including Caleb Williams, of course, right? Yeah, um, all right hey, this one's from Nathan Rains. Is the high expectations good or bad for Texas? I've seen where the college game day crew all picked Texas to win the Big Twelve this year. Makes me a little nervous. It makes me a little nervous too. <laughs> I, I'm going to be honest. I mean, whenever somebody starts saying something good about Texas, I'm like, wait, wait, wait a minute. Let's let's try to figure this out and get to the bottom of it. I just think that, you know, first of all, Texas is the marquee program in, in the conference along with Oklahoma. And, and so they're always going to get that benefit of the doubt. The reality of it is this year they started in last year, they started seeing some of that talent. I mean, Texas went out there without Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson and took a Washington team late into the fourth quarter that ended up being a top five, a top 10 team or so. Right. Texas has guys, and people are starting to see it. Sark can can, can uh, scheme them up a little bit on offense. Yeah, it makes me nervous, but I'd rather that than you know somebody think they're going to go four and eight. So let, let let's let's talk about that, Rod. As a player, did did high expectations ever bother you guys, or how did y'all look at it that way? No, um, I mean, and we didn't have social media, by the way. So let's be, let's throw it out there, guys. These guys, they, they see it. They can respond to it. They can interact with it. We never had that. So we were in a bubble. So we did have a bit of a bubble, but we had high expectations for ourselves. And we understood, you know, with the recruiting classes that Matt kept bringing in, that we were stockpiling ton of talent. We saw the preseason rankings for Texas. We were always top 10 and that Oak Texas Oklahoma matchup was always a matchup between either top 10 or top five teams. There were national championship implications. You cannot, you can't hide it. You can't hide from it at Texas. Like that's part of, that's part of being a, you know, part of, you know, being a member of the brotherhood or the community at the university of Texas. They're high, not just for Texas football for every sport, but they're really high, like high expectations. Like I said, I won 11 games in my last two years and we fell short because we were good enough to beat Oklahoma and good enough to, to win a championship. So uh, these guys understand it. They get to see it on social media. I think it's good that Sark has embraced it and he's not shy. He's not, you know, trying to somehow, you know, uh, shy away from it. He's not hiding from it. He says, no, we're good. And, you know, we're not hiding from it. We think we're going to be really good and we should be playing for championships. We'll see if that's the case because it's been a long time since, Texas met the expectation and the standard at Texas. Got it. All right. Uh, Going to stay uh, in on take this one uh, from Strook Ones. Uh, watch some high school ball this weekend in Livingston. Livingstone is a dude. My comparison for him is Malcolm Williams. Wow. That's a, that's a name from the past, right? Wow. A big receiver out of Garland. What say you guys? Jerry, is that, an, is that a fair comparison? I don't know that he's that thick. I mean, yeah. Malcolm Williams was... Right. Wow. Yeah, I'd have to think of a comparison for Parker Livingstone. I don't think I'd go that way with it, but that doesn't mean I'm right. 
Uh, I, I need some time to think about that. I haven't really put a really watched a bunch of older receivers and body, you know, the size and the movement skills and those sort of things. I tend to like to really study that uh, with those guys. So I'll, I'll take a I'll take a peek at some past guys on Parker Livingstone. Nobody's really coming to mind coming to mind for me. My for me, Jerry, it's it's not so much who he reminds me of. It's just a, the, he is such a different type of athlete than Malcolm Williams. Malcolm Williams was this large, powerful athlete, right. almost power and speed over what I would call athleticism. Whereas Livingstone, I think, is a more athletic, uh, fluid athlete. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah. yeah. He's almost yeah. graceful. Yeah, he, he's nice. Yeah, he's <laughs> it's weird to yeah. say that about a football player. but Yeah, yeah no, it's good. It's a good one, Rod. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Hey, this is for Peter Young. I, good one. I, this is a great question, Peter. We didn't have a single pass over 50 yards, and yours was abysmal in several games. Why should we believe in Quinn in 2023? Well, I would say I, I push back on abysmal. Okay, that, that goes – look, th- there's a lot of factors that go into that, man. I mean, I don't think Quinn was abysmal. I wouldn't say that. Do the wide if those games that people said he was a bit abysmal, how many wide receivers made a play to help the quarterback in those games? So you got to call them abysmal too now. I mean, so it's got it's more than just that. Um, why Quinn will be better in year two? Great. I don't think anybody said he's going to be great. I think Caleb Williams is reserved for great, and maybe Drake May is reserved for great. If you play as a second or third round level quarterback, you're probably going in the first round with that talent. I, I tend to think that's the maximization for Quinn as far as if you're looking at that sort of thing. Why is he going to be better? He's He's got quicker feet this year. He's in year two, year two of a system. He's got more confidence um, in his abilities. I think he's done some really good work in the offseason with Jeff Christensen, who trains Pat Mahomes and some of those guys in the NFL. I think he's really – Helped him, not that Sark and AJ don't, but you only have so many hours with these guys. Um, so I think he got with a guy that's really helped him. Um, and I think a big part for Quinn, guys, it's just my opinion is I think. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I, I think when he lost a year, that important leadership stuff, not going through his senior year at Southlake, leading that team and program and that community... Uh, but I think he's approaching this season with more of a professional mindset. So it shows you where his goals actually are this year. Rob, what do you think? I mean, yeah. would you would you categorize it as abysmal last year? Uh, no, I mean, he had, he had some bad games, growing pains, whatever you want to call it. Oklahoma State, uh, the Baylor game uh, started out. But I'm with Jerry. 
Amy Sark would say that man, there are a lot of different reasons as to why you know <laughs> those plays went off the rails and why some of those performances were down performances for Quinn Ewers. It wasn't just all on him. Uh, but yeah, as a quarterback, you get as VY once told me, you get all the girls, you get all the grief. <laughs> right? So uh, I, I do think he'll be better though. It, it, so many boxes are checked, right? We know Sark's a quarterback nurturer, quarterback guru. That's what he does. Um, Quinn Ewers, one more year in the system. Even he talked about how he's comfortable. My favorite Quinn Ewers quote of the offseason, guys. I love this. And I, I'm going to paraphrase. I'm not going to give you the exact quote. He said, um, getting the pass protection right was just is just as satisfying as throwing a touchdown pass. That is such a mature thing for a quarterback to say because he knows he didn't think like that before he came his first year. He was thinking like, no, man, it's all about I like that route combination. I'm going to hit you. I'm going to hit you uh, X on this route, man. Make sure you make this adjustment. It's like, no, no, none of that matters if you don't get the pass protection right up front. (laughs) And he's starting some of those little things are starting to click. So he's more comfortable. He knows the personnel now, too. um, And he's being pushed. Guys, my number one thing is he's being pushed. Because the guy behind him, Malik Murphy, can go. And the guy behind him, or maybe even not even behind him, beside him, I don't know. <laughs> that guy, Arch Manning, he can go. So, honestly, guys, that was, that's what made me the best player that I could be at Texas. When, when I had Nathan Basher and, and Huff Daddy and young Cedric Griffins and, in that room with, with Quentin Jammer also with me, I mean, I got pushed to the limit. Otherwise, I... I would I would have been sitting at the back of that room and not at the front. And I think that's going to bring out the best in Quinn, man, is that high level of competition with elite players like that all around. All right. That's good. Great stuff here, Rod and Jerry. Hey, I need to stop one second and uh, thank our sponsor for the Sunday Night Live stream. On Texas Football is brought to you by the Cross Oak Group. Cross Oak is one of the leading government affairs firms in Texas, specializing in lobbying, political communications, business development, and regulatory compliance. These days, government finds ways to impact nearly every aspect of your business. With decades of experience ranging from the State House to the White House, Cross Oak Groups help, helps its clients hedge risk and protect and grow their bottom lines. To learn more, go to www.crossoakgroup.com. That's www.crossoakgroup.com. Uh, we appreciate their ongoing sponsorship of the Sunday night live stream. Guys, let's go to this one from Mr. Talk Too Much. All right, let's see what we can go here. He's got a good one. Uh, in, in some ways, I hate to say this about using this the, the, the word waste of talent or the words. Justin must be on a second date. Who's the biggest waste of talent you guys ever followed? I would think Trendavian Dixon, the old Brenham wide receiver is somewhere close mm. I'm using the term wow. waste of talent, guys. Wow. Right. Yeah, hold, on, hold on. Justin's not here to pick up for uh, stick up for himself. So I'd say it's him on a second date. <laughs> uh, now, I, I, I've got one for y'all. Ben Gay, running back, spring high school. Baylor. Did he go to uh, Baylor? Never yep. played a game, was so good. He rushed for 100 yards, I think, at an NFL preseason game. Right about Never that. made it to the regular season. Ben Gay was a total freak, Bobby. Total I, I, I saw him. I lived in Houston at the time. I mean, he ran 10, 4, 5, something at 215 pounds in high school. Total freak. And totally nuts on the field, by the way. <laughs> yep. I remember him. I do remember Ben Gay. That's a good one, too, man. That one stands out. Man, That's the NIL one. opportunities he missed <laughs> are 
seven or eight figures if he would have been, if he had his stuff together. Oh my goodness. He, he, he could have changed his name to like another athletic appointment and made money, right? I used to be Ben Gay, but now I'm yeah. Anyways, all right. This was from uh, Bristol Wilhelm. Jerry has said he expects this class to end with 23 to 24 recruits. We're at 16 now. We usually talk about the same four to five guys, and we likely won't get them all. Who do you think fills out the class? Good question, Bristol. I, I think it's a great question. And then after this, I want to hit on David Williams asking about the five stars specifically as well. Um, look, Warren Roberson and Jelani McDonald weren't even in our thoughts as far as the Texas class this time last year. And those are two of the best freshmen that didn't come in early. So keep that in mind. The senior of senior year evaluation started this last Thursday at the high school season, right? Wardell Mack, they're going to stay on their top guys. I'm not saying Wardell Mack's flipping, but he's scheduled to come in for the Rice game. Texas doesn't back off these guys. Even if DeAndre Carter commits to Auburn September 3rd, Texas is still going to try to get him in on a visit. I think a lot of stuff can happen during the season. I think, you know, these the difference in recruiting now is these guys have boards. They have coaching carousel boards and thoughts. There's a lot that goes into this. So I think Texas will hit 23-24. Look, if they hit – say they hit three five-stars, you're, you know, you're sitting there at 18 – um, and then you have a couple of guys that are on the radar now, but are on the uh, how the recruiting staff's radar that get to the staff and they go watch these guys play seniors. Then you're already at 20, a couple of guys flip. You're sitting there at that number. I mean, I, I think they're going to hit 23 or four um, with this class. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, look, I can tell you this. If Dominic McKinley doesn't, if he picks Texas A&M over Texas Friday, and I'm not saying he is, we'll see what he does Friday. Texas isn't going to just stop recruiting high school defensive linemen. They're going to go about, they're going to check back in with some of those guys they're recruiting. They're going to keep uh, kicking the tires on some guys. There's some guys they like. Uh, so that's just the way this process is going to be. They recruit through the whistle. Uh, David Williams asked me about the five, Texas no chance. To, I said, not no chance. The history of recruiting suggests Texas won't get all five five stars. Colin Simmons is in the boat. Obviously, David's talking about Dominic McKinley, Kobe Black, Ryan Wingo, Brandon Baker. Three out-of-state guys, one in-state guy. History recruiting says you don't get all five. We'll see what happens. Um, hey, question here uh, for uh, Rod as we look at this list here. It's something I'm really trying to, to figure out uh, as well. The I'm trying to find it. Where did it go? From Paxton, Rod. Oh. Are you a fan of the new clock rules? How does it change coaching adjustments? That's a great question. I don't I know if we it. have a good, a good sample size on it just yet. Um, I think it's going to make coaches. I think it's going to infuse a little bit more desperation in the game because uh, you just you, just, you don't have as many plays. You don't as many. You, you run out of opportunities. You run out of uh, you know uh, the, the different offensive uh, drives you would have in a in a half or you know in a quarter and i think coaches will start to sense that as the season goes on and realize i just don't have as many opportunities to troubleshoot a defense i actually gotta i got i gotta you know i gotta take chances and take and take more gambles and i think that's what you're gonna see which actually may end up being a more entertaining product overall i mean period hey here's tim salinas did a super chat on on top of it kind of that i think uh is is very appropriate the running clock was very noticeable. I thought so, too, in what I watched, guys. 
I love splash plays as much as Sark, but Phil, we need to be able to pound the rock in conference play. Guys, that's what Steve Sarkeesian wants to do. All the window dressing with the receivers and getting those guys in space is a use for getting them outside the hash marks so that he can run in between the hash marks, right? So there's fewer people uh, paying attention to the power run. That's what he did at Alabama with a guy like Najee Harris. Uh, so I, I feel strongly about it. They want to be able to. The question is, is this offensive line good enough right now to do this? They lose Roshan, Roshan and Bijan. Is Jonathan Brooks, Keelan Robinson, and a guy like Cedric Baxter possibly good enough as well? Jerry, what do you think about Sark and the need to, to maybe run between the tackles more effectively this year? Well, I think uh, if you look at your ultimate goal of winning a national championship, it's going to go through a defense like Georgia. Or Alabama. Or Alabama. So you have to be able to run the football. You have to. I mean, you, you can't you can't live in 11 uh, personnel and it, when the defense can pin their ears back and put that much pressure on your offensive line. I just don't think that's the formula. Uh, you have to be able to run the ball in between the tackles. And here's the thing. You have to be able to run it when you want to. Because mm -hmm. with this new clock rule, if you get up 17 points midway through the third quarter, that clock is very much your friend. Where in, in before this rule change, maybe you just kept calling that game, like thinking it's a seven point game when it's 17. We had to keep getting points. We had to keep getting points. No leads too big. The game's changed now a little bit, except the last two minutes for these college coaches. So I think being able to run the ball when you want to run the ball is huge. I think defensively, I've said this, I'm a broken record. I don't think first down run defense has ever been more important than it is with this rule change. Hey, I want to say this. Like Mike, uh, Mike Gundy at the Big 12 Media Days, guys, when I was up there, he came and spoke. He said that used to around the four-minute mark at the end of the game is when he would really pay hyper attention to the clock. He goes, now I think it's going to be more like six minutes. Yeah. When I start to – my, my thinking starts getting a little bit different uh, because of the rule changes. So something to keep an, an eye on. I will say this. The clock stops – after a first down within the, the two minutes of each half. Right. So it's not completely going away from what it, it used to be uh, as well. All right. Uh, dear Brett from <laughs> MB Balls 512. Dear Brett Bormark, just show up to the to and hand the Longhorns the last relevant Big 12 football trophy. <laughs> be sure to share that other half of Humble Pie with Tim Non the Wiser. Hey, you know, Rod, seriously, when when I heard that they played the uh, Joey McGuire, uh, Brett Yormark video to the team, y'all did that. Mac Brown did that. Yeah. I mean, th yeah. this is not Steve Sarkeesian doing. I mean, everybody does that. What is Does that give you that intrinsic motivation a little bit to keep that one game in the back of your head so that, you know, 11 or 12 weeks from now, Texas plays Tech the, the day after Thanksgiving, last regular season game of the year. Does that give you all some intrinsic motivation when that time comes? It kind of stands in the back of your head. Yeah, I think for Sark, it just um, it allows him to have evidence of something he's probably already told the team, right? That, you know, everybody wants a piece of you on your way out. 
you got to embrace the hate. But now you have confirmation. Basically, Brett Yormark gave you confirmation that he said the quiet part out loud. And now if you're starting, you're like, I told you. See, I told you. If y'all didn't think that they were out, they were out to, you know, that everybody was against you, now it's us against the world, then now you have confirmation that Texas, you have to go out there and leave no doubt that you have to win with an exclamation mark, with emphasis when you go out there. So I just think for Sark, it's made his job a little bit easier. He's been trying to motivate these guys for a little while using different tactics. And I'm sure he'll bring it out again, you know, when it comes tech week. But I'm sure the reason he played it for the guys before the season started, it was so that he could crystallize their focus. And so they could understand the mission that guys, it ain't going to be easy. And just so you know, there are a lot of forces working against you. All right. I know you've been hearing about, oh, you guys are ranked the highest team in the Big 12 and the AP poll and the coaches poll and the Big 12 media preseason poll. But hey, don't mistake it. There are a lot of people out there rooting against Texas. And just so you know, even the forces within the Big 12, so it just made his job easier. Hey, look, I, I'll tell you all this in the on Texas football locker room. Producer Matt and I played it for Bobby Burton, so he came out on the air like Earl Campbell on third three. Okay, <laughs> so it carried over to the on Texas football locker room too. <laughs> yeah, and give Brett your all more credit, guys. He turned that game into a must-watch college football game for a lot of college football oh, yeah. fans across the country. He won. He won with what he wanted. Right. He, real- yeah, exactly. He made that must-watch television. I don't think we thought it was must-watch television, but now around the country, they're going to replay. Those, you know, this runs through love it comment from Joe Me the Money from last year. They're going to replay those Brett Yarmark comments, and then you, they're going to be able to build this thing up into being a nationally relevant game. I'll give Brett Yarmark credit for that, but yeah, a lot of Longhorn fans uh, they ready to clown on him. They just want they want him not to hand Texas that that Big Twelve championship trophy. It won't be it won't be nationally recognized if Tech arrives six and six. That's true. Yeah, that's I mean, true. They, both teams need to keep up their end of the bargain. Not trying okay. to be I, that that's my only thing. Hey, getting back to a little football stuff here. Thoughts from Adam Lane. Thoughts about Bama's passing defense, especially with their line pressure. I would say it's got to be top five, top ten in the country. Uh what 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 are your thoughts, Rod? Uh I mean, they they're gonna replace their their safeties and their 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 like fifth and sixth DBs. Kool-Aid McKinstry is one of the best corners in the country. Uh, but I think Texas actually secondary-wise, if they have time, if they have time, I think Texas actually can exploit some parts of the Bama secondary, some unproven commodities in that secondary. But the Kim Kardashian, Nicki Minaj, Serena Williams size, Cardi B size, Megan the Stadium size, but will they have time? And that, that's my concern. My big concern is the pass protection for Texas and not that Texas won't have, you know, uh, adequate athletes that can match up against Bama in the trenches. They've been recruiting those. Um, but, you know, I do think there are ways, and I, I, I brought this up. We were talking before the show uh, to, to Jerry. I watched that Baylor game again most recently. And, man, Dave Aranda, he had some really nice pressure packages to get to Texas. Got to Texas five times. Had five sacks in that game. Longhorn fans forget because Sarge and Sock just run the damn ball. I guarantee, I guarantee you're going to see very similar pressure packages that Dave Aranda had versus Texas in that Baylor game with Nick Saban's Alabama defense. Kevin Steele's running it out, but I guarantee you I'm going to be able to take screenshots, side-by-side shots 
and look at the uh, the game from Bama and the Baylor game, and I guarantee you Nick Saban's going to take a lot of those concepts because they worked so well at getting to the Texas quarterback. Hey, uh, East 8th actually brought up a great point, uh, and I'll go through the, I'll go through this next. He said that he, their linebackers were struggling coverage. Their eye awareness in the spring game was awful, talking about Bama. I somewhat have heard the same thing, that I think Sark, that may be an area where they kind of a, attack in the passing game. But, again, you got to have time. You got to have guys. Uh, you got to run guys out of certain areas to take advantage of that. Hey, Jerry, yeah. stay with Juan here. Uh, did you have think having three years to build for Texas going through recruiting and portal gave Texas an advantage that Oklahoma didn't? Not sure about this Texas A&M since they left a year after announcing it. Uh, I, I guess he means as the transition going into the SEC. Oh, yeah. Y- yes. I, I think every year matters in that because you're recruiting a different player, size player, athleticism at different positions, right? Um, you saw that tex- Texas transition in the type of linebackers frames they're recruiting, right? Along with defensive line, uh, Oklahoma obviously is, knows they have to get bigger on the interior of the defensive line. They know that, and, and and you're seeing that is where the majority of their push is in this recruiting class. I think Texas definitely has an advantage uh, having that extra year to build that roster before they go to the SEC. I don't think there's any question about it. Hey, there was a couple of questions about Dominic McKinley. I want to hit on him. We've had, I mean, we have almost a thousand people in here. I think I can't even keep track. Thank you to all you guys, by the way. Um, Dominic McKinley still scheduled to announce September 1st. I think this is going to come down to Texas versus Texas A&M unless LSU pulls a late one out. Um, I know he loves Larry Johnson, long way from home. I know he likes Todd Bates, long way from home. I'm not saying something crazy can't happen in this recruitment. I think you could see different directions pull in different ways. Um, But I I think when he announced his commitment date, he had a pretty good idea where he was going. But that, like we talked about with Colin Simmons and all these guys, when you announce that date, these guys and these families really start to feel the pressure of the process. And those colleges know how to apply pressure to that process, especially the ones that think they're playing from behind. Uh, so I really think engineering, a couple of engineering schools, man, this could come. Academics are a big piece in this, and it's also within driving distance. So I still think Texas, Texas A&M, based on what myself, Sam Spiegelman, uh, heard Thursday night at the Acadiana scrimmage, and I was there Tuesday. I'm not going to be surprised if it's not an old uh, in-state rivalry for an Acadiana five-star at the end of the day, but I don't want to discount some really good D-line coaches in that equation as well. Hey, Dax Kelm uh, with this one, Jerry. Has Texas offered the younger defensive end uh, at Duncanville number 10? He was a beast opposite Colin Simmons, uh, the Longhorns' most recent commitment. I, I don't think they have offered anybody uh, other than the known guys yet. DeCorian the Moore, obviously, LSU commitment, JV on holiday in 2025 at corner. A lot of those kids, Texas starts evaluating this last week. So I think you'll see some offers start to go out. Again, the staff's in the dead period until August 31st. The Texas staff will be on the road Friday night before that Rice game around the state of Texas. I think Texas may be in Acadiana for that Acadiana Lafayette Christian High Christian Academy game. That's Melvin Hills committed to Texas and Dominic McKinley. He will announce his decision sometime Friday afternoon before that game. But the hey. Texas staff will be out evaluating starting Friday. Gotcha. Benny Rogers, who scores the first TD Saturday? Type of play, length of play. I'm going first, then y'all can go to Jerry. One-yard plunge, Jonathan Brooks. I'm just going to keep it simple. Rod, Jerry, Rod, 
Uh, I'll go JT Sanders up the scene. Easy play. Uh, RPO, actually. RPO scores. I'm going to say in the red zone. They were in the red zone, near the red zone. There you go. All right. Jerry, I'm going big. <laughs> I'm going Xavier Worthy punt return. Ooh, oh, nice. I like that. Nice. Well, hey, we, hey, Matt, make sure you keep this uh, next Sunday for next Sunday night's live stream, just in case one of <laughs> Joe D. Have... Camillus brings it home for yeah. me. What <laughs> <laughs> if the three of us happen to get this right, and so we can prove that we had our crystal ball here and and look through it? Hey, guys, uh, one of the better questions of the night I, I'm going back to is, uh, and people have asked this: what what makes you confident? that Quinn Ewers has improved year over year. Like, are you confident he has? Are you in show-me mode? I'm a little bit more in show-me mode than I am confident, but that's – I'm one of those guys. I, I, I tend – like I've said on the show before, I can tend to be a pessimist at times. So I'm a little – I'm in that show-me mode. So I, I think Quinn's going to be a much better player. Um. And you can be a much better player and play like a fourth-round NFL draft pick. Um, I just think, look, he's climbing the pocket a little bit more from what we're hearing and what we've seen. Um, I heard about a play in one of those the first scrimmage where he felt pressure, and last year it probably wouldn't have been a back foot throw from this side angle to J.T. Sanders on a crossing route. He stepped up into the pocket, slid right, delivered that pass, in between a linebacker and corner, although Muhammad and Leona Flau didn't cause the fumble on that play. From what I heard about that play, if if Quinn makes plays like that in the pocket, he's going to be drastically improved this year. Mm-hmm. Now, does that mean he's going to be a, fir- a first-round pick and challenge Caleb Williams and Drake May? That's not what I'm saying. He could play like a second or third-round pick and go in the first round because of his talent. I, could, I think he's going to be improved. Is that a fourth-round pick-level quarterback on the field? Third, second? We'll see, but if he climbs the pocket, then I think he's going to have a good year. Yeah, no, I, I agree, Jerry. I get simple things, right? He's got the golden arm, so I think for him, he almost falls in love with it. Sark falls in love with the golden arm too, no doubt. Uh, but he's got to get it. He's got to fall in love with the routine, the the basics, right? We're talking about footwork. You're talking about uh, the fundamentals, the throwing mechanics, and we know he can make all of the throws that can, you know, stretch a football field. And that's not really a throw that he can't make, I should say, on a football field. But what we need him to do better is, uh, you know, make sure that when he has that, you know, that that simple throw out to the flat that he does actually set his feet, uh, that the throwing mechanics are something that he's focused on because that will enable him to become a better player. Um, it'll, you know, it'll help with his, his process, with his development. And I think that's a big part of it too, for him. So making the routine, very routine for him um, and him not being bored with the routine and being fascinated with, you know, the, the big plays and the, the miraculous plays, which we know he can make. That's why I love that the quote that he had about, Hey man, I love now right now saying that the right protection is just as satisfying as throwing a touchdown pass. That's important for a young quarterback to understand the the routine and the mundane, uh, the basics of the position. That's what you got to master. So you think there's a little proof in the pudding there at this point? Not yeah, a ton, yeah. but some that you're sensing from behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah, but I got to see it too. I mean, we haven't seen quarterback. We nobody can predict this position. 
I mean, if, if the great Bill Wall said very few people can coach the quarterback position and even fewer can evaluate the quarterback position, nobody knows. Look at the San Francisco 49ers right now. Look at them. Look at them. That's a primary example. Those are smart football people who don't know what the hell they're doing when it comes to quarterback because nobody knows, man. Nobody. So that you just try to give yourself the best chance to be successful. And Sark has done that. How? Loading that room with tons of talent. That's all you can do, bro. That that's another that's another reason I think Quinn's gonna have such a much better year. Some of that's the people around you. Yep. You know, I mean, and I harp on this, but how many plays can you count where the receiver left his feet or adjusted to a ball and made a very difficult catch for the quarterback last year? It goes hand in hand on some level. Yeah, no, I agree. Hey, let's let's ask this one. Uh, because Xavier Worthy did make a downfield catch in this game against Bama, right? Why do you what do you believe made Quinn so successful against Bama last year in the first half? What adjustments do you expect Saban to make? It was man coverage. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. And and as soon as uh Oklahoma State started playing a robber with Xavier Worthy, that that play went out the books. Um, and I don't think Quinn Quinn really adjusted again. For quite a while, yep. right? Yep, that's exactly right. I mean, and and by the way, Nick Saban is on record saying man coverage is the greatest coverage in the history of football. But hell, everybody ain't got the dogs to play man coverage like that, right? <laughs> you got Bama, LSU, Ohio State, Texas should be in that category too. So he played man coverage. He said, if this kid's got the golden arm, he's the highest rated quarterback prospect in modern recruiting history. Well, you know what? Like you just said, Bobby, show me, show me then. And for Quinn Ewers reading a defense, everybody, even the jabronis out there, me, Jerry, anybody, we can go out there at quarterback and drop back and say, it's man coverage. Now, can I make the throw? That's a different discussion. Right. But I can identify man coverage because anybody can. And as Bobby said, as we got through Big 12 play, and then you got to Oklahoma State playing a little more complicated coverages, some exotic coverage, the three high, three down defense, uh, more you know, rotating their safeties, moving things around. He had to process, and as you process a player, you think, and when you're thinking, you're, you're playing slow. And that's what we watched with Quinn Ewers. He was playing slow in the pocket, reacting slow. This year, hopefully, he doesn't have to think as much. Some of those coverages that are foreign to him, some of those looks that are so bizarre and exotic, now he's seen them before. He knows how they look, and hopefully he can process things a little bit faster. But there's no doubt, man, Bama played man defense. They will not make that mistake again, I assure you. <laughs> Guys, I want to say one last thank you tonight to our sponsor. Then we have time for about three or four more questions for Rod and Jerry of Inside Texas and On Texas Football. Uh, everybody knows that On Texas Football or the Sunday Night Live stream is brought to you by the good folks over at the Cross Oak Group. Cross Oak is one of the leading government affairs firms in Texas, specializing in lobbying, political communications, business development, and regulatory compliance. These days, government finds ways to impact nearly every aspect of your business. With decades of experience ranging from the State House to the White House, Cross Oak Group helps its clients hedge risk and protect and grow their bottom lines. To learn more, go to www.crossoakgroup.com. That's www.crossoakgroup.com. We appreciate them for their sponsorship of the uh, live stream on Sunday nights. I want to go to Working Man here. He has a good question, I think that we don't know the answer to quite yet. Is our run blocking improved? They bring back five starters. But DJ Campbell's in for Cole Hudson. 
They should be better just on paper, right? What are y'all's thoughts? I, I think they're going to be better because it's it's an experienced group, a year older. DJ Campbell and Ned are going to be in this rotation. Cam Williams, a year older, will be in the rotation. They got some guys with some run game nastiness. You know, DJ Campbell have to answer the call in pass protection. And, you know, people are running stunts in games. But as a run blocker now, that guy's next level because of his quickness and physicality and has that Casey Stutter wanting to bury that guy mentality. He has that mentality. We'll see how it goes. Kelvin Banks is an animal. Uh, Look, all these guys, you know, when you look at them, they're bigger, stronger guys. I mean, they're a year older. They have experience now. I think the big thing is – that's going to be the, the whole deal with the run game, Rod, is the interior. It's Jake Majors against Jaheim Otis against Alabama, right? Somebody like that. It's it's Hayden Connor and those guards against, you know, you're not going to play fronts better than Alabama, but that's where you're going to be judged this season is on that game because people are going to be, ah, the Big 12's trash after that. It doesn't matter. This game is where you have to show what you can do in the run game. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, it, I'm not saying it's going to be a regression from last year, but you – you had the two best running backs in the country, arguably, at breaking tackles yes. and forcing missed tackles, basically turning negative plays into positive plays. So you're going to miss that. Uh, but hopefully you compensate or you whatever you lose in that that ability um, with your offensive line because you're upgrading uh, the offensive line. You've been recruiting well. You return all five starters. Hopefully you can compensate for what you're losing there in the running game. I was a little concerned, obviously, after the Washington game because I think Sark's creativity – as a play designer, can also contribute to the running game and adding some juice to it. Let's not forget Paul Chris, guys. He brought him in. Guys, you know, is known for being extraordinaire in the power running game. And let's also not forget, I think if Sark cannot, you know, figure out the running game and say they're having some issues and they can't really get in their groove, I think he'll just throw more mass at the problem. And they will go 6-0 line and go damn near 2,000 pounds of human being on the <laughs> offensive line and decide, you know what, man, we're going to just try to rush, just jam it down people's throats and see if that works too. I think you'll get you'll get some of that too, potentially. Hey, let's go to this one, guys. Robert Muhammad with Super Chat. How much will Texas mix miss Maurice Blackwell for two to four weeks? A Blackwell out, guys, with an MCL tear, according to a po- Facebook post on his uh, by his mom. He was a backup linebacker. Rod's laughing at how the news got out. Yeah, that is how the news got out, guys. Great um, source. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that that is a big one. I also think it's big on special teams. Yeah. Mm. Jerry's mentioned that. He's the he's one of the upbacks and had a pump block. Great, yeah, great cover guy, kind of athletic and long. That kind of fits really well and, and with those guys. What are y'all's thoughts on how much Texas will miss him? Yeah, that's interesting. I, I think for uh, on, on the defense, because they got David Benda, all the reports are they really like David Benda as an, an off-ball linebacker, fifth-year guy. He's been stable. Uh, that means Anthony Hill can either fill in there, rotate there, or be situational. So I don't think that's something going to miss him that much right now in the depth chart. But you're right, special teams, that's a great point, man. He's one of your aces on special teams. All right, hey, from Ken Ward here. Hey, guys, it seems to me that this team has hit the gym harder than most, transforming their bodies in the offseason. Do you all see the same thing? I do for the quarterbacks, but (laughs) let's let's talk about this because I don't even know that they're actually hitting the gym harder or smarter. The, the, The relative 
few, relatively few soft tissue in, injuries they've had this year uh, in this offseason, really for the last uh, nine months since the season started a year ago or ended a year ago. That has to be partially Tory Becton and his workout plan. I mean, because they have had a knock on wood, we're, we're six days away. They've had relatively few injuries. Rod, what are your thoughts on that? Can can training really help lessen the impact of injuries? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, and I think you know tailoring different you know strategies and strength and conditioning programs to specific athletes also helps. Uh, so I, yeah, I'm with you. I think that's a big part of why Texas may have had good injury luck so far. I'm with you. Knock on wood about that because you go look at championship runs at any level. And usually good injury luck is a huge part of it, man. Just having uh, the, the the gods on your side when it comes to that. So I'm with you. I think Tory Beck has done a good job. And I remember I'm not going to call out strength and conditioning coaches, but keeping track of certain types of injuries within the program that seem to be disproportionately happening um, uh, under a strength coach. And I, I've seen some of those. And I think it's because of a, a certain type of strength and conditioning program. So I'll give Tory Beck a lot of credit for that. Good. All right, uh, from uh, Solo Sonic here. Uh, with the addition of Paul Chris, do we think he will help Sark have better in-game decisions when to call timeouts, when to run no huddle? I want to say this. I don't know that Chris is going to be the guy on the headsets doing that. I think it's going to be Joe D. Camilla <laughs> is what I'm hearing because he actually did a little bit of that in the NFL with special with his special teams work. Is that what y'all have heard too? I mean, well, but I don't know if he can be better – period in this overall but i don't know if i don't know if d camillus can wear the headsets and actually be part of that conversation right since he's not yeah but he can go he can go touch he can go talk to he can nudge he can nudge (laughs) (laughs) yo (laughs) hey look there's been coaches in college football that and i was told this by a head coach that have had guys stand next to them that are really good with time management and literally give them the nudge because Mm. There's a lot going on, yep. especially if you're a play caller as, an, as a head coach. Bill Belichick uses one. Yep. And that, I'm going to tell you, all you need to know is if he uses one, you probably should too. <laughs> that's, 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 uh, hey, we're going to end it with this one. Bobby from UT Boy uh, Super Chat. Bobby, don't be nervous. This is how we are supposed to be. I think that's a good a good one to end it on, guys. Thanks for the Super Chat there. Um, Hey, guys, uh, for Jerry Hamilton and Rod Babers, I'm Bobby Burton. This has been the Sunday Night Live Stream brought to you by the guys at the CrossGoat Group. Please like and subscribe this video uh, for the best of Longhorn coverage. You'll get immediate notifications uh, when when a new video comes up. Uh, Jerry, I'll see you and Blake Monroe in the morning. Uh, we've got a bunch of stuff going on. Jerry, you have something you want to mention? Yeah, thanks all you guys for for the uh, questions, comments. I know it's hard for us to get to every question. Bring them back in the morning. We have five uh, coffee and footballs this week. We have two or three other uh, live streams at night. So keep bringing those questions. If we can't, we can't. If we missed you, sorry about that. We'll get to you eventually. Hey, I want one more question that I didn't ask from Text Two Ten. Who wins Thursday's game, Florida or Utah? At Utah, Utah is without Cam Rising. I know that's yeah, exactly. That's the big thing. It's at at Utah? Utah. It's yeah. at Utah, I believe. Yeah, they played at Florida last year, right? Right. Yeah, it's at Utah for sure. Uh, here's the crazy home. thing. You have the little Category 1 hurricane going that way in the Florida on mm-hmm. Tuesday night. 
Florida's not scheduled to fly out till Wednesday morning. They didn't do the Tuesday two-day early deal. So could their Uh-oh. travel impact that game a little mm. better? Just their scheduling. They think they have the altitude figured out. They're not leaving till Wednesday to go to Salt Lake. Now Ooh. they got that little Hurricat one coming through Gainesville area. I still would go with Utah. It's a home game. It's the altitude. It's there's a lot of things in Utah's factor, time zones. There's a lot of things going for Utah in that game. Jerry, Rob, which way are you going on that one? Yeah, I'll go Utah. They play well at home. They're a different team on the road. Utah, I got them. Even without Cam Rising, that's going to be tough. Florida beat Utah last year, guys. Yeah. Just to remember in a, in a surprise. All right. I'm going to go with Utah as well. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Florida Jerry, Rod. For that game. We'll see. <laughs> Thanks again uh, for the Sunday night uh, live stream. You guys right. have a good one. Uh, we'll good. see you tomorrow morning. Hook them.